We have more conflict going on over the gospel being preached. And so we have a pericope here, which is a, I guess you call it a story, if you want to use a simple term, uh, a continuous section of scripture with a beginning and an end. And so we have a pericope, which is the story of this Jewish rabbi who was a famous teacher in Israel who gave advice about what to do with these apostles preaching the gospel. Okay, so that starts in Acts 5.33. It says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the man to be taken outside for a little while. Okay, so there's a confrontation going on between the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council of Israel, and the apostles. And it was over the gospel. And so when they were told about the gospel, they were angry. Literally, some of the versions cut to the quick. And they wanted to kill the apostles. So we're going to have a story here of this Gamaliel and his advice. So I think I'll just go right into the text here. And here's what I just read from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And if you're open to this, look back a little bit to verse 29. 529. And we'll see what they said that caused the Jewish leadership to want to kill them. All right? Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are all witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom the Lord has given to those who obey him. That's what was said that caused this leadership to be so enraged, literally, it's pierced to the heart or cut to the quick, that they wanted these apostles dead. They wanted them dead because they didn't want to hear about Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. It said, whom God exalted to his right hand. So the crucifixion wasn't the end. This angered them. And throughout the ages, from the time of the apostles until now, the gospel enrages unbelievers. They get angry. 
They get viciously angry. And if they could get by with killing people, they do it. And you see that to this very day. I remember some years ago when one of the talk shows was Larry King Live. Do you remember that? And he'd have a religious discussion. And he'd bring in these different people, a Muslim, a rabbi, and a liberal Christian. And then he used to have John MacArthur as his token gospel person. Because he could count on him to tell the truth. And this, he could count on, would enrage everybody else. So the other ones were all saying, oh, all the religions are saying the same thing. We're all working together for the same ideas. And there's no real differences. We just all have to get along. And then they'd say to John, Pastor MacArthur, so do you think that people who don't believe in Jesus Christ the way you do are going to hell? And he'd say, yes. Ah! (laughs) They could count on him. And that was great TV because then everybody's enraged and it made it interesting for the people looking for conflict. And so we shouldn't be surprised because that's the way it was during the life of the apostles. The truth of the gospel enraged them. Maybe because my voice is a little challenged today, I'll have people read again. Brian, you got the mic. Luke 21, 12 and 13. Luke 21, 12 and 13. Remember, dear students, that Luke Acts is a two-volume work. So if you want the background for Acts, consult Luke. So that's what we're going to do. Go ahead. Luke 21, 12 and 13. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So Jesus said that they be drugged before kings and rulers. Why? To lead to an opportunity for their testimony. So, that's what Peter did and the others. Now this Gamaliel was Paul's teacher. Does somebody want to read Acts 22, 3? Acts 22, 3. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Sorry. But brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. Yeah, so Peter, or excuse me, later in Acts, after Paul's conversion, he says... He was trained by this same fellow who comes here and gives his advice. And this was a famous Jewish teacher, highly respected. It says that here, a teacher of the law was respected by all the people. And he stood up. And so 
Another thing to take note of, we're going to have this pericope about Gamaliel. Then we're going to have one about serving the widows. And then we go to Stephen. Stephen takes a huge chunk of Acts. It's a big, long story. And so I'm not sure how I'll preach it, but I'll figure out a way. And when Stephen preaches, we see in Acts 7.54 the response to Stephen. Stephen's introduced a little bit later here before he preaches as one of the ones chosen to serve the widows. He ends up being a preacher. And after he preached the gospel, it says, using the same word enraged, Acts 7.54, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. The same word. Enraged. And began gnashing their teeth at him. One of those persons was Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul, who writes part of the New Testament. They're gnashing their teeth. They're so angry. They want Stephen dead. What happened to Stephen? They stoned him. He was a martyr. Yes, Brian. I was thinking about this this week. When you look at the, the like this Gamaliel and the other uh, uh, teachers, they were very aware of the Old Testament uh, uh, prophecies, and they knew what was to take place with the coming of the Messiah. And then at the same time, we're studying. Uh, uh, Romans, where th- God puts a delusion on people and leaves them to their own behest. Because they don't and love the truth. Because they don't want the truth. It's, it, would you say that it's almost the same thing? Because these people could have looked back in Isaiah or the Psalms or any of those and seen what was coming down the road. All right. Let me, let me respond to that. Very good question. Here was the dilemma for Jewish students of prophecy. Prophecies about the Messiah seem to be contradictory. Okay? Because you saw a lot of prophecies about the son of David who would reign on the throne and destroy Israel's enemies and restore the Davidic kingdom to his glory and would be the king, right? There's plenty of those prophecies. But there's other prophecies who says that there'll be a servant of Yahweh who comes, who's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom we hide our face. So there's a set of prophecies about a Davidic king Messiah, and there's a set of prophecies about a suffering servant Messiah. And these seem, on the surface, to be totally contradictory. Now, the apostles were preaching that there's two advents. They learned this from Jesus. That in the first advent... Jesus is the suffering servant who dies 
who was beaten, mocked, crucified, and was raised from the dead and bodily ascended to the right hand of God. Psalm 110, verse 1. But there's another whole set of prophecies about granting repentance to Israel. We read that, did we not? Look back before Gamaliel here. Gamaliel. Oh, come on. Where's that? Oh, there it is. Come over here, cursor. Remember I read? Verse 31, Acts 531, he's the one whom God exalted to his right hand. So Messiah was exalted, but not until after he was crucified. And they did the crucifying. They did the rejecting. So imagine the guilt. If they accept the gospel, they're accepting all this guilt. But Peter and the others also said he was going to grant repentance to Israel and their forgiveness of sins. If they were willing to acknowledge the truth, they could receive forgiveness of sins. And they could serve this exalted Savior. Now, when we get to the long pericope about Stephen, what Stephen's going to do is rehearse the history of Israel and show that God kept sending them opportunities, but every time they rebelled. And therefore, the current Jewish leadership was filling up the guilt of their forefathers. Now, in their mind, they're looking at the same data and thinking, no, we're not the false prophets. No, we're not the rebellious ones. No, we're not the one who stoned the prophets. We're the good guys. Don't we think that way? In our minds, we associate with what's good. So, we're the sons of Israel that are honored and blessed. Stephen says, no, you're the wicked ones. You're sons of the wicked people. And so they became enraged and they put their hands over their ears and they rushed upon him and stoned him to death while Saul of Tarsus is holding their cloaks. Associating in mind with the good guys. I told a story many times over the last 40 years that I heard from a friend of mine who back then he was still a prison guard at Oak Park Heights, which is where the worst of the worst go. And he told a story about when he was a prison guard, they were showing movies. It was movie night. They're showing movies to prisoners. And so they were showing a Bronson movie. Remember Bronson? <laughs> and so all these criminals do heinous things, you know, really bad things to make you really mad at them. And then Bronson gets sick of it. And he goes, kills all the bad guys. Right. So here's all these murderers, rapists, wicked, evil, dangerous people watching the movie. They're cheering Bronson. <laughs> And my friend says to them, what are you guys doing? You're the bad guys. And they all said, oh, no, we weren't so bad. See, 
There's something that goes on in our minds where we want to associate with the good people, even when, in fact, we're the wicked ones. So in the minds of the leadership, they're the good guys. And those wicked people that made the golden calf and stoned the prophets and rejected everybody God ever sent, that's not us. That's somebody else. And like Nathan to David, Nathan says, thou art the man. Remember? Stephen says to the Jewish leadership, you are the ones who crucified the Lord of glory. You need to repent. And that's a tough thing to hear because we don't like to think that way. That we're the wicked ones that need to repent. But we really are. And we do need forgiveness of sins. Because that was part of the message to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. But if we won't admit that we need repentance and forgiveness, we're not going to get anywhere. And so rather than admit that that's what they needed, they killed the messenger. All right, well, let's go to another slide. So here's this Jewish teacher, highly respected. Here's what he says. Acts 5, 35-36, I'm citing Holman Christian Standard Bible. He said to them, this is Gamaliel, Men of Israel, be careful about what you're going to do to these men. Not long ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his partisans were dispersed and came to nothing. Now, there are debates about this Thutis, because there's another Thutis mentioned by Josephus, and the facts didn't quite add up with what's stated here. But there's no reason to think there can't be two different Thutis people. And we do know that Josephus spoke of many insurrections around this time that led ultimately to the grand insurrection at 70 AD when they're going to revolt and throw off the Roman rule. So there have been false messianic movements that came to nothing. So Gamaliel is mitigating, is a mitigating influence compared to those who wanted to kill the apostles. But we need to be careful here and look at the whole story and see what the claims of the apostles were and judge Gamaliel's advice in light of everything else we know in Luke Acts. And here's what I would suggest. What Gamaliel never did was call for examining the evidence, which is what's required. Every fact is to be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. What are the facts? Is there any evidence for the claims of these apostles that this messianic claimant Jesus of Nazareth really was raised from the dead? Or is the tomb empty? We can go look. Nobody ever found a body in a tomb. They all agreed the tomb was empty. But he doesn't say that. He just takes a pragmatic approach. 
this might be like these other Messianic movements and come to nothing. Well, we know, of course, from as Christian readers of Luke Acts, we know that, in fact, Christianity did not come to nothing and that God added people to the church and that the church grew and became influential and that the gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire. So we can look at that in light of that and say, well, he was right about that. And it was nice to have a mitigating influence. But more is required if you really want to come to the truth. you got to examine the evidence. I'm going to start, by the way, I already have the PowerPoint done for a week from the day. It's all done. It's all ready to preach. And it's the beginning of 1 John. And 1 John starts with evidence about the person of Christ. Yes, Peter. So, Bob, you're saying Gamaliel, that was an error of omission? Well, he was giving pragmatic advice, but it wasn't sufficient. Was it intentional? Well, it's just his, his human wisdom. Okay, so it's human wisdom. It's his wisdom about how to deal with it. But it's not exactly factually correct. Well, let's go on. Let me go to another slide here. He, he tells some more stories about things that had happened. This one is uh, mentioned by Josephus. Acts 5, 37 and 38. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. That man also perished. And all his partisans were scattered. And now I tell you, stay away from these men, the apostles. Leave them alone. For if this plan or work is of men, it will be overthrown. That's what he says. Now that's his wisdom. And it was a nice mitigating influence on all the rage. Although it didn't last long because soon after this, they stoned Stephen. But he does not call for examining the evidence that the apostles cited. In other words, the apostles weren't asking, hey, give us a chance, and if we're successful, then, we're the, then believe us. They didn't make that claim. They said Jesus was crucified, buried, raised, and bodily ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God. They, they call for examining evidence. Whether the church is successful or whether it's small and persecuted, the truth of the gospel doesn't really depend on the apparent success of any given church. Because if you look, as Eric taught through the churches in the book of Revelation, the ones that Jesus commended were small and persecuted. The one that's very rich and successful was Laodicean, which is a bad one. So Gamaliel's advice in the bigger scheme of things isn't very, really accurate. But at least he slowed down the rage to kill the apostles. You know, he, he put a kind of a damper on this fury to kill them. Let them go, and if the thing's not of God, it won't happen, it won't work. As I say on my slide, 
false movements should be an S there, sometimes do flourish and last for centuries, even millennia. millennia. Take Kabbalistic Judaism, which is mysticism. It's still around. Madonna follows it. So you can say, oh, Kabbalism has gone on for centuries. It must be right. No. Examine the claims. Mormonism is very successful in America. We recently had a Mormon run for president. Does that make the Mormon claims true? No. Mormonism is a false religion. However successful. Does that make sense? Yeah, Roman Catholicism. I'm going to get to that if I go far enough today. I have a slide, and and you're going to help me. I took a picture of the local Catholic church. They have a banner, and I can't figure out what they're talking about. (laughs) It's not on yours, but I'll show you when I get to it. I went and took a picture yesterday. I emailed Dan Flaherty. He's hunting pheasants in South Dakota, but he hadn't heard of it either. Yes. Because the Roman Catholic Church got brought up, I was going to say, I'm reading this uh, really incredible book called 50 Years in Rome. And he, uh, this priest is questioning so much of the Roman dogma as he's going through. And he, especially temperance and um, the papacy, the history, and all the corruption. And when the priests were trying to explain to this poor young priest, they said, you know, this is just evidence that what Jesus said, that the gates of hell should not prevail against the church. They were using all of that sin in the church as their evidence that Jesus' words were true. They weren't denying that it didn't all happen, but they were saying this is their evidence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just how twisted. Remember when we were studying Luther? Thank you, Luann. Thanks. uh, When we were studying Luther, he cited what Rome said against Luther and the Reformation. Here's their claim. We are ancient and we are many. Therefore, we are right. Okay, so Gamaliel wouldn't help with that, would he? We are ancient and we are many. Therefore, we are right. Who wanted to Mike? Mike? Mike Kaufman? No, he just was sitting there. Back there. I see that hand. Yeah, yeah actually, uh, we're supposed to use our name. We're supposed to say our names. I'm Eric. But there are so many Erics. I'm Eric Fredrickson. Um, and I was just thinking about something and thinking maybe I should comment on this because I don't want to take up excessive time. But, you know, it's human nature. And, and I don't know. I bet you all of you guys have have had times that you've made a statement to somebody of fact. And people, it's just human nature. People do not even want to consider things if it somehow would violate something that's in their self-interest. They just don't want to even think about the the, the truth or falsehood if it's against their self-interest. That's exactly why it takes a work of grace to save us. Starting next week, all right, when I start in first job, I've already got the research done for the first two weeks, the PowerPoint for the first week. I'm excited about this. First John couldn't be more pertinent. And 
thanks to Robin here, we have recovered the debate with the emergent guy, Paget, And it's on our CIC website. I will be referring to that in my sermons because postmodern denies the validity of evidence. Okay? And it denies rationality, denies non-contradiction, denies the reliability of sense perception, denies everything that John said validated the gospel. They deny it all. And wait until you see that debate, if you haven't. Some of you were there, live. It was, can you believe it? It was 10 years ago. In January, that'll be 10 years. It still is pertinent. Denying the validity of evidence. And what Paget believes in is spiritual evolution. The processes of history are the kingdom of God emerging. And so you look out there and you see the kingdom emerging and join with it. But no definitions. So the two of us could not have been more polar opposite. Totally polar opposite. So it's on the website. But anyhow, he's claiming, and emergent claims, that people like me are throwbacks to enlightenment rationalism. 18th century enlightenment rationalism. And they say 18th century rationalism is passé. Nobody believes it anymore. We are no longer modern. Now we're postmodern. So get with the times. I'm a throwback. I'm a dinosaur. (laughs) But what I'm going to show you, you want to be here next week, what I'm going to show you is that what they call modernism or, or enlightenment rationalism is exactly the worldview that the apostles promoted. Evidence, claims, validation, witnesses, and guilt based on how you respond to evidence. The mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact will be confirmed. And it didn't show up in the 18th century. I can prove it was around in the first century. And that's exactly what Peter presented to the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin. This man who was crucified, who you rejected, who died on a cross in history, in time and space, before witnesses, was raised and appeared to witnesses, and before witnesses, were bodily ascended into heaven. So we know that when he said that he'd be at the right hand of the majesty on high, we could believe him, and he's coming again in the same manner that he left, bodily. And see, post-modernity wants a spirit Christ. And so did the false teachers that are mentioned in 1 John. It's not new. So there's my little advertisement for, for 1 John. I'm going to quote a couple of my better scholars on Acts. One is Dr. Pull Hill. 
he says this, according to Josephus, he, this Judas, laid the foundations of the Zealot movement within Judaism, a movement that would grow to such proportions that less than 25 years after Gamaliel's speech, it would initiate all-out war with the Romans, unquote. This is where it was heading, war with the Romans and the debacle of 70 AD. Dr. Peterson says this, Gamaliel's temporizing approach does not highlight the importance of considering the truthfulness of the apostolic claims. With their challenge about the fulfillment of Scripture and signs of God's Spirit at work in the Christian movement. Waiting to see how things turn out, says Dr. Peterson, is not an adequate form of guidance for difficult situations. See, we need to know up front what's right and wrong before we make our decisions. You can decide to go join the Jehovah Witnesses and see how things turn out. Well, how, how do you find out? Well, you have to find out whether you're going to participate on, in the kingdom on earth with the other Jehovah Witnesses or become annihilated or whatever they, their claims are. It's too late. I talked about that in one of the books that I wrote. It's too late. If there's an eternal judgment, we need to know now what the terms are. We can't wait until the judgment and say, oh, what do you know? Those Christians are right. Here I am heading to the lake of fire. (laughs) What do you know? It's too late. We need to know now, and that's why we need to look at evidence. So I'm going to argue in favor of evidence. So they listen, but still try to silence the gospel. My next slide, slide number five. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found to be fighting against God. So they were persuaded by him. And after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. They were persuaded, so they beat them. All right, maybe this guy's right. We're going to beat you anyhow because we don't like you. The flogging would indicate that these guys were false prophets. Brian, do you have a Bible? Brian? Deuteronomy 25, 2 and 3. The fact that they're called to be beaten is proof that they were considered to be false. And that's not what Gamaliel said. He said, wait to find out if it's true or false. Deuteronomy 25, 2 and 3. Then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of stripes according to his guilt. He may beat him 40 times, but no more, so that he does not beat him with many more stripes than these, and your brother is not degraded in your eyes. Yeah, so there was a limit to it, but they were beaten because they were guilty. But the apostles are not guilty. They've done no wrong. So they're falsely beaten. And then they're commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus. This happened before. All right, go have your Christian movement. Just don't preach about Christ. What? 
But they can't do that. They have to obey God rather than men. Luke 24, 46, 47, I'll read it. And he said to them, Jesus, this is, said this, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Verse 47, That repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So Jesus says repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name. The Jewish leadership says you can't preach in his name. They want to silence the gospel. Okay? So they're not really following Gamaliel's advice. How do you know about the outcome of the Christian movement if they can't even preach on the Christian movement? It's basic claims. Personal work of Christ. The resurrection from the dead. That Jesus was the Messiah. They try to silence the gospel. Slide six. Now notice how they respond to being beaten and silenced. Verse 41, Acts 5 and 42. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple complex and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Rather than obeying this command to not obey Jesus, they rejoice that they're persecuted and they go out and preach all the more that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. One of the uh, unique things about the Holman Christian Standard Bible is it translated translates the Greek Christos as Messiah, which is technically correct. They have their reason for doing that. Christ does mean Messiah, but I think a lot of people think that Christ is just Jesus' last name. Right? Bill Jones, Jesus Christ, he has a last name. So by the Holman Christian Standard Bible saying Messiah, it makes people think about his claims that he's the promised Messiah. Christ, Christos, means anointed. Ha Christos is the anointed one. That will come up in 1 John. When I'm teaching through 1 John, I'll talk about Christ and the Antichrist and what the claims are and what we need to learn. Now, Mike, please get the mic. It's coming to you. And read Luke six twenty two and twenty three. We'll find out why they rejoice for being treated mistreated for the gospel. Remember Luke Acts two volume work, <clears throat> same author, Luke the physician, Luke six twenty two and twenty three. You are blessed when people hate you. When they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, 
take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Yep. Jesus told them that when they're mistreated for the sake of Christ, they were to be glad and leap for joy. Yes. Um, this Gamamiel person is really interesting when you think about him. You know, he's is he being pragmatic or is he being maybe persuaded a little bit? You know, he, he says here um, that you know they might be found to be opposing God. That's pretty strong to say that. I mean, he when you look back in the chapter before how the they were arrested and then they were released by angels and of course it's spreading all around. So he could be being pragmatic, pragmatic and saying we try to lock him up and it doesn't work anyway. But also, over there in 6, it says, a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. And you kind of wonder about, about him, you know. And, okay. Um, just, I, I, w- I kind of wonder how they could have withstood the ripping of the veil and the, you know, the, how, how any of them could have withstood that. Yeah, they're all, they're all going against the evidence. I'll tell you what I think. Because we've got to wonder, well, what about this Gamaliel? Did he become a Christian? It doesn't say that. It probably would have had he because it would have been a strong evidence for Christianity. And so I probably not. But I'll tell you what I think, and it's just my opinion. But thanks for bringing that up, Julie. Remember in John, the high priest said something and the, the author of John tells us he prophesied unknowingly prophesied free coffee for anybody that finds that (laughs) it's in John I think it's around chapter 12 but I'm just guessing remember that he was high priest that year and he prophesied but he didn't know that he did what he said was it's better for one to die for the nation than for all to die and the narrator, John, tells us he unwittingly spoke the truth for God. So it could be that Gamaliel unwittingly prophesied. Oh, we got a winner. Barb. <laughs> Hope you like coffee. All right. 1251. 1151. See, I wasn't even in the right chapter. I was close. John 1151. So that might be what's going on. Because the high priest who prophesied didn't believe the gospel, didn't believe Christ. I don't think Gamaliel did either, but he may have spoken unwittingly that this is going to prosper. Yes, Brian. So in that verse, you have somebody prophesying that didn't know he was prophesying, but throughout the whole New Testament, we have people fulfilling prophecy and not knowing they're fulfilling prophecy. True. This is part of the doctrine of providence. Have you heard that term before, providence? How God oversees all of history to bring about his greater purpose? And providence includes good and evil. Did you know that? And so, remember, didn't Jesus say, it needs be that offenses come 
but woe to the one by whom they come. So in God's providence, Israel's Messiah comes on the scene of history and is rejected by evil men who refuse to look at the evidence. Thus the offense, the scandalon, the scandal of the cross. But it was necessary that Messiah be rejected because the word of God cannot fail. In Isaiah 53, it says, he was despised and rejected of men. It's necessary that offenses come, but woe to the person by whom they come. This re- Somebody want to find that one? Yeah, Barb, you're the best. Just go get it, you know. <laughs> Somebody's probably got a little computer Bible going and won't take long. Anyhow, what do we learn about history and God's providence? Eric is preaching on Romans 1 and then Romans 2. That'll be very important. Okay? The rejection of the truth actually is leading to God's purposes being fulfilled. So here's what we know. Everything that's predicted and written must be fulfilled. De. Delta Epsilon Yoda. Why? Yeah. Because God cannot lie. If God says Messiah is rejected, then God cannot lie. Messiah must be rejected. And God's chosen to use the means that he uses. But this does not absolve the agents, the moral agents, who do the evil. They are still morally guilty for rejecting Messiah. Here Bob, I was just going to point out, um, here you have Caiaphas who's giving a prophecy, although he would remain a false prophet. He doesn't hold to the doctrine of Christ. And like you're pointing out, he's speaking really better than he knew. Yeah. But what's interesting is the, the biblical claim for the prophets is oftentimes they knew exactly what they were saying. And an example is in that Acts 2 where David is likened to a prophet and in Acts 2.29, remember he cites Psalm 16.10 that the Holy One would not Amen. see decay. Amen. And Peter, this is Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch died, David died and was buried in his tomb to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that would take place, that would place one of his descendants on the throne. So here David, as a true prophet of God, speaks what he knows from Scripture you have Caiaphas providentially speaking what he doesn't know, exactly. and God uses so it. So he's not true. really a prophet. Exactly. And but I think he, that he shows did providence. prophesy unwittingly. Amen. And I That's, think that that shows your doctrine of providence, like you're mentioning. Yeah. Well, but why you got the mic? Yeah. Go to Acts 2, around about 22 and 23. Yeah. And then comment on what we learned from that. Yes. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man credited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you 
with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible to, for death to keep hold of him. And then it goes on to say, David said this of him. And so here we see same that, idea. Yeah, the same idea, yes, God's moral will is being thwarted as they're killing Jesus. It's evil to stand against the promises of God. And it's yet, evil to murder an innocent man. Yes, right. And then yet they're fulfilling his decreative will. They're bringing it about. Exactly. See, that passage right there, Acts 2, 22 and 23, requires us to think theologically. Like Eric likes to say, we have to walk and chew gum at the same time. All right? So we have to accept everything God says. And it's always evil to reject Messiah, but yet the rejection of Messiah led to our salvation. And as we'll see in the next pericope, some of those who rejected him become Christians. They may have been standing there, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And some months later, they're on their knees worshiping him. Some of the same people. Isn't that amazing? Paul, yeah. What did you say, Rich? Saul. Yeah, Saul becomes Paul. That's exactly Saul. So that somebody has rejected the gospel isn't a sign that they're never going to believe it. So we don't give up on anybody. Amen? Amen. All right, I got one more slide. Now, here's where I need help. I took this with my own little camera. (laughs) All right. I can't figure this out. It went up in the last couple of days in our local Catholic church in St. Louis Park. And they're starting something new. Now... Uh, who, I don't know who the pictures are of. Mary. 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 Who's prominent? Mary. Mary. So we had a big, important Mary and a little Jesus. Now, the first line. The reason it struck me, and I went all the way, I went over there yesterday with my camera, because I was working on First John yesterday. That which we've seen, that which we heard, that what we touched, our hands have handled, the word of life we declare unto you. So there was a tangibility or corporal reality to Christ, right? And he bodily ascended to heaven, right? And he does sit at the right hand of God, right? So what does it mean Christ is passing? What does that mean? Dan told me he'd never heard of it. Nobody here heard of it either? Brian Zwig. I'm trying to find the story of Zacchaeus. Wasn't Christ, wasn't Jesus passing by? Okay. Well, think about the papal visit. Go, you know, the whole, you know, all the people lined up and the Pope is passing by and you know, the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus is passing by. And, and Z- so he Zacche- might go on by, but you better find him. So that's my guess. Okay. Luke 17, 1 is the other answer to the other, the other verse we were trying to find. Okay. Luke 17, 1. Woe to him by whom the offense comes. Now, Brian, that's interesting. I have a newspaper clipping that some friends brought back 
from Texas. It was in the, the newspaper down in Texas because the Pope was flying around on American Airlines and they interviewed people that were workers on the airline. And one guy that they interviewed was not a Catholic, but he was, a, he was an attendant of some sort on the plane carrying the Pope. I should have brought that newspaper. I have it sitting down in my family room. But interestingly, this guy was all, oh, oh. You know what he actually said? The non-Catholic? I saw God. I saw God. That local lady, that Catholic charity lady, she said, I kissed the face of God. And then this non-Catholic was given rosary beads by the Pope. So Christ is passing. I don't know what it means. But it fails the test. Okay? Okay, the reason I'm showing you this is I'm going to preach on 1 John next Sunday. And I'm going to start actually with 1 John 4, 2 before we go to 1, 1. The test of spirits. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ come in the flesh is not God. The incarnation is the test of spirits. If Jesus walked the earth, God incarnate, fully human and fully God, and he really did choose disciples who become apostles, and he was really rejected, he was really raised from the dead and appeared before witnesses, if he really bodily ascended into heaven, all of this is bodily. And remember when they were gazing into the heavens, what were they told by the angels? He'll return the same way. You can't mistake it. Christ doesn't come spiritually. That's the claim of the new age. When Christ comes, he will come bodily to bring salvation to those who love him and judgment on those who hate him. So, this reminded me of the pageant debate. Okay? You may want to watch it. It's, I think it's kind of a, an anomaly. It's weird having two people that far apart trying to even talk about something. He kept saying, we need to go around and find the kingdom of God out there and join it. Isn't that like this? Jesus is passing. Christ is passing. Come and Listen. How about the book Jesus Calling did I critique? Oh, yeah, I heard Jesus. He talked to me. Is this Jesus Christ coming to flesh? Oh, no, I didn't see Jesus in the flesh. Yes, go ahead. You know, being raised Catholic, um, it doesn't, it makes a lot of sense if you're raised Catholic uh, that the Pope is considered uh, the representative of Christ on this earth. The vicar of he Christ. He is the vicar of Christ. So that would make common sense if you're a Catholic that he represents Jesus Christ on earth. And so it would be, uh, you know, obvious that that would be exactly what you were saying, is, is he is the representative of Christ on earth. So if he's passing, 
And that's Christ passing because he's our representative on earth as the Pope. So if I went to these meetings, I wonder what I'd find out. I'm not quite bold enough to go. Yeah, I, I bet you if Chris Roseborough was here, he'd go to the meeting and then tweet about it. I don't tweet. Go ahead. Bob, the thing that worries me the most and what that says is free child care. Yeah. <laughs> we'll pass on that. Well, I wanted your help because I couldn't understand. Well, whatever. I'm sure they're enjoying themselves, but... What we need to know, dear friends, is that Jesus Christ is the Christ of the Bible. And he's not a mystical spirit floating around out here to maybe be grabbed a hold of somehow. Do you see the difference? Christ came, was crucified, was raised, and bodily ascended into heaven. That's the Christ that we preach. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for caring about us. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints. Thank you, Lord, that you came and died for our sins. That your son Jesus bodily was raised and bodily ascended. And we have access to that throne of grace. May we be faithful to you in all things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.